Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Charles Adler on the SNC-Lavalin affair. Also, Colin Fast, the Director of Policy with the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce will join us. We'll talk about what looks like an increase in property taxes in the city of Winnipeg and Manitoba's Liberal leader, Dougal Lamont, also on the podcast. Please rate the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast, and now, the podcast. And when it feels like the world is on fire, I like to listen to Hal Anderson. <laughs> I did not miss you, Tristan. <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. TFJ handling the news. Finally. Are you back now for good or what's going on? <laughs> no, no, of course not. Today and tomorrow, then Monday, oh, I'm filling my in. Gosh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Hal. When will the musical chairs on my show end? All right. Well, Tristan will be back at 1.30 and every half hour with the news as we go along here this afternoon. Cam Poitras producing the show. We'll check in with Cam in a second. But I want to get to the very important guest who is joining us on the phone now, Mr. Charles Adler. Chuck, good afternoon. Hal, I'm, I'm here uh, listening at uh, my home office yes. in British Columbia. Right. And I'm hearing my great friend, uh, Tristan, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, my God, it's about time. It's about bleeping time. <laughs> well, thanks, Charles. I appreciate that. It's good to hear you too. <laughs> See? <laughs> oh, yes, TFJ is one of a kind. He is nobody else even close to that man, Chuck. You are absolutely right. Now, Chuck, I wanted to have you on here. We've got lots to get to again today. One of the craziest news days I've ever seen, really, yesterday, as far as big, significant stories. I mean, we have busy news days, but yesterday it was just boom, 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 big, big stories. So I want you to make sense of a couple of them. Let's start with the SNC-Lavalin affair. Jody Wilson-Rabel testified yesterday. She said, yes, I was pressured to get involved in the SNC-Lavalin case. In fact, she was pressured uh, nonstop, it seems, by a lot of people, including the prime minister. Uh, Try and clean up this mess for me, Chuck. Give me your, your opening thoughts here. Well, as she was talking about the prime minister and the pressure over and over again, even after she said, no, the decision's been made. Yeah. It's inappropriate for us to go any further here because I'm your attorney general. So she's trying to help him out, really. She's right. trying to, you know, get him out of a, a ditch because here's the, the fact. If Jody Wilson-Raybould had bent to his wishes, has, had bent to his will and had ultimately bent the law, no matter what she decides, even if she decides in favor of doing what he wants, a judge, and this is something that isn't talked about enough, a judge still has to sign off on it. And the judge could look at everything that the judge has in front of them, uh, from the prosecutor, from the director of public prosecutions. Also, probably knowing full well that Jody Wilson-Raybould had said she agreed with her prosecutors and then reversed herself. There's a very good chance the judge would say, this ain't kosher. This doesn't pass muster. Hmm. This isn't a rule of law. And then guess what? An RCMP investigation could find Trudeau and Butts and, 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 and Jody Wilson-Raybould 
guilty of obstruction of justice. Mm. Yeah, interesting. He was saving their hides, Hal, is what I'm saying. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're ungrateful. I mean, I don't expect them to, to come on your show and say, thank you, Boglat. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Right. But anybody who's looking at this from a nonpartisan perspective, and anyone who wants to have the discussion with lawyers, will come away with the discussion, will, will come away the, with the conclusion that there was only one grown-up in the room, and it was Jody. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The start this morning, Mackling McGarry McNabb had on uh, Arthur Schaefer. You know him, I'm sure, Chuck, from your many years here in Winnipeg, sure. uh, ethics prof over at the University of Manitoba. And he said, really, uh, Trudeau only uh, got into trouble when he started talking about votes and the election in Quebec and his riding. I am an MP in Quebec. That's where Arthur says Trudeau got into trouble. And Andrew Shear, the Tory leader, wants... JT, Justin Trudeau, to resign. Do you think it's that serious? Should he resign? Or, I mean, he's not going to, but should he? How serious is all of this in your mind? Well, the moment I heard, and uh, Schaefer and me aren't on the same page on a lot of things, but okay. on, this one, on yep. this one, we're precisely on the same page. Because it was when I was, and I was, as a lot of people, uh, riveted. I mean, this was the sort of the... the O.J. Simpson Bronco yep. chase moment, okay? We took uh, every so minute of it yesterday. Watching. Yeah, everyone we took every watching, minute. Everyone who had access to a screen was watching. So anyway, uh, I'm watching, and when she quoted, and she was fabulous. I mean, I don't think she had an iPhone with her taping, but I mean, she's just a, a smart lawyer, and a smart lawyer knows that uh, the moment after you've had an eventful conversation, you take the so-called copious notes, okay? So she's quoting the prime minister as saying that he's not just the prime minister, that he's a Montreal MP that he represents Papineau, and he just has to get this fixed. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe a prime minister would ever say that. Uh, he was obviously feeling comfortable with life, comfortable enough to, to, to say that. But at that moment, he so is stepping across the ethical line, and in my opinion, the legal line as well, and at, at, at this point, um, I, I tweeted uh, when I when I heard it, I said, at this point, the prime minister has lost moral authority. Mm. And, you know, it's it's me saying it. But when an ethics commissioner says it or a judge says it or even, you know, with, with all due respect, uh, Arthur Schaefer, who's, you know, one of the, the renowned experts in North America on ethics, this really did cross the line. Yeah. And so... Uh is this something that the prime minister should be stepping down over? Because he says, don't worry, the ethics commissioner is going to take a look at this and we'll we'll figure it all out uh, in that office. But Sheer wants him to quit. Should he quit? Should he resign? Well, I think he should resign. But, uh, you know, I, I, I doubt that the prime yeah. minister has taken advice from, from Andrew Sheer. No, I'm just sure, curious sure. if you think you know, it's gotta, to that gotta, level. Yeah. I have to get off my high horse once in a while. <laughs> once in a while, yeah. This is this is one of those times <laughs> when i got to go under the horse. Yes, right. Uh, what a mess. I'll tell you, I've often said, uh, because I want to get to uh, what happened in Washington yesterday too, Chuck, because I'm sure you've got some, <laughs> I'm sure you were back and forth between the channels yesterday. Yeah, no, it, uh, it, was, I wa- uh, it was terrible. Uh, I want to get to that, but um, most often we talk about Canadian politics not being as exciting oh as American politics, but boy, that was not the case yesterday. And I'll tell you, if the Americans were watching the way our MPs behaved yesterday at our uh, uh, hearing, 
we behaved much better, didn't we? I mean, uh, even the Tories were were showing respect to uh, to Jody Wilson Rabel. Yeah, I've got to give uh, credit uh, to the Tories for having Lisa Raitt in the position that she's in. Now she's the justice critic and deputy leader, so you know she earns that particular seat on the justice committee. But I've, I've got to tell you, uh, there were there were two stars yesterday at that hearing, and one was Jody Wilson Raybould, of course. It was like a star is born moment. Uh, most people here in British Columbia know that Jody Wilson-Raybould is capable of all, all that. But I don't, I don't think that most of the country w- was aware of just how much firepower uh, she had. I mean, she had the package, how, uh, you know, uh, whip smart, uh, 100% integrity. And as I said yesterday on Twitter, you know, Bell's bigger than British Columbia. So w- when you've got the guts and you've got the smarts, and people believe you. I mean, what else is there? So, but uh, she, so she was the superstar. But the other star on that committee hearing was was uh, Lisa Raitt. She did not uh, take any cheap shots. And frankly, you don't have to because in politics, if your opponent is burning his house down, you don't have to do anything except be a spectator. Yeah, right. Sit and watch because boy, it was burning down yesterday for Justin Trudeau and his government. That's for sure. So the big question today, and I talked to uh, Bill Wilson, it uh, turns out, uh, just uh, checked a few moments ago, checked the numbers, it's, it's one of the most uh, played uh, podcasts in North America right now. Yeah. And I don't take any credit for it. I was just the right uh, in the right place at the right time uh, to have a conversation with uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's dad, the hereditary chief, uh, Bill Wilson, who used to tangle with, with Pierre Trudeau a number of years ago at constitutional conferences. In any case, I was uh, yakking with Bill, and there's a dad who's also a lawyer, uh, who's also an expert on the Constitution, an expert on government, and, 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 of course, is the, the father of, of Jody Wilson-Raybould, so it's it's political and personal mm-hmm. and colorful, yeah. and I highly recommend that uh, anyone paying attention uh, goes on my Twitter, at Charles Adler, they'll see some, some links to it, and even if uh, you don't find me there, uh, just go to uh, Global News, uh, Bill Wilson, and uh, you will uh, find a, a takeout and the link, and he said what he had to say, but one of the things he felt he had to say was that he does not think Jody Wilson-Raybould, his daughter, has a future with the Trudeau Liberals. He doesn't think that Trudeau will sign her nomination papers for her to be able to run as a Liberal. He doesn't, uh, he's not optimistic that she can win without the support of the, the Liberal machine, even though, uh, you know, she beat her opponent by 9,000 votes. Uh, she's enormously popular, but uh, she has a lot of thinking to do about the future, but Bill Wilson said that in his mind right now there's a good chance, despite the fact that uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of respect for the opposition, and he's certainly not recommending that his daughter cross the floor, uh, he thinks that there's a good chance Trudeau will lose the election, a good chance the Liberals will blame Jody Wilson-Raybould and what happened yesterday uh, for all of that. And at that point, he doesn't know whether his daughter has a chance to run for the Liberal leadership, but Daddy wants her to do that. Daddy wants her to be the leader of the Liberal Party and a prime minister. It's a great listen. I uh, did not catch it live last night, Chuck, on your show. I listened this morning when I got in, and I'd like to play about 45 seconds of it, and then let's carry on the conversation. This is Bill Wilson, and again, go and listen to the whole thing. Chuck's right. It's it's a great listen. This is uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's dad, Bill Wilson, on Charles Adler tonight, last night. Take a listen. Well, it's difficult for me to uh, to respond 
around as someone who's lied six or seven times leading up to this. Uh, my daughter finally had the opportunity to just tell the truth, and uh, now he says he could have given her the opportunity to tell the truth uh, three weeks ago, but he refused. He he made up a whole lot of crap, and uh, and then his uh, chief of staff resigned, and he retreated into the corner, changed his story, and and uh, you know now that he's uh, let the truth out of the bag. Uh, you know, he's, I don't know what he's doing. What is, what is he running for cover? He's the prime minister, heaven's sakes. Uh, I, I find it difficult for me to believe that he could respond in that kind of a manner. Uh, he simply wants to uh, dump on Jody. Would that make things right? Again, at Charles Adler on Twitter, uh, go and uh, listen to the whole thing. Chuck, let me ask you then, you mentioned what, what Bill told you. Uh, let me ask you, do you think that this could cost Justin Trudeau the election um, I don't think Andrew Scheer is a terribly strong leader. I, I think if it was somebody stronger, I would say, no problem, Tory's got it in the bag. That's how I feel. But uh, what do you think? Do you think JT uh, is in trouble? Can Andrew Scheer pull it off? Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I think because Andrew Scheer isn't, uh, you know, the, the strongest one around, I mean, to, to be a little more uh, uh, positive about this, uh, you know, Aaron O'Toole was, was my fave in that race, O'Toole and, and Lisa Raitt. Uh, it didn't, wouldn't have mattered to me. Uh, either one, I thought, uh, could uh, build another liberal majority and, and be popular in, in Manitoba, central Canada, um, eastern Canada, you know, national, coast to coast. Uh, that's what I was looking uh, for in the last uh, leadership race. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching my bud uh, uh, Peter McKay out there. He's in Jamaica right now, Skyping interviews. And uh, he'll, he'll never say it publicly, but I've got to believe that when he's walking walking the beaches of Jamaica, Hal, and you've been on those beaches, I've been on those yeah. beaches, you, you get to do a lot of uh, thinking and reflecting. Don't you think, Hal, Peter McKay is saying to himself, if I had known that Trudeau <laughs> was going to blow the thing up like yeah. this, I would have run and I would have won, and I would be the prime minister in about six months from now. Yeah. Hey, I got to take a break, Chuck, but I want to get you to weigh in on, on what happened in Washington yesterday, the testimony from, from Michael Cohen. Uh, give me 30 or 45 seconds on, on where this goes now. Well, Michael Cohn is a person who's uh, what I would call a real low-rent liar, a butt, and here's the big fat butt. You and I have big fat butts, Hal. Uh, the, big, <laughs> the, big, the big fat butt in this conversation is Michael Cohn was working for a decade for a high-rent uh, liar. And so a lot of people have a decision to make. Uh, am I going to trust the high-rent guy or the low-rent guy? And at the moment, I mean, I, I've never said anything like this publicly or privately. At the moment, I'm, I'm trusting this low-rent liar. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I'll tell you what, uh, when it comes to credibility, and, and Michael Cohen's got lots of credibility issues, he's in big trouble going to prison for lying to Congress, but man, Jody Wilson-Raybolt was such a credible, she just came oh off God. so credible yesterday. It was, I mean, as you flip back and forth, you're thinking, man, it's it's apples and oranges here. Well, you know, I'm, you know, many Manitobans slag me for being too pro-American, and I'll admit to being pro-American, I've got lots of reasons for it, the country was very good to me, very good to extended members of my family, and, and very good uh, for, for keeping uh, Canada and the Allies free, okay? So I don't take, make any apologies for that. I am pro-American, but I'm still pro-Canadian. I'm still, you know, this, this is my country. This is the land I love. And yesterday, boy, yesterday was the easiest day in my life to be pro-Canadian because yeah. after the, the, the sewage that I was listening to with, with Michael Cohn and all the rest of it and, and Donald Trump, and then I tune in and I see this magnificent 
human being called Jody Wilson-Raybould, mm. respecting the rule of law, standing up for all of Canada. She was Captain Canada. I just, um, you know, I, I know how that sometimes you think I'm a little too sentimental, but um, the, the uh, my screen was fogging up. <laughs> Chuck, thanks a lot for this. I appreciate it. Uh, Colin Fast is here. Colin is the Director of Policy at the Winnipeg Chamber of Caller, uh, Commerce. Uh, Colin, good afternoon. Oh, thanks for having me, Hal. Great to see you again. Uh, you have been um, uh, commenting on, on social media about... That doesn't uh, sound like me at all. <laughs> no, not at all. About the uh, budget here in Winnipeg tomorrow. I, I still can't believe that a number of almost 10% has been floated as one of the options... Now, it can't be a likely option because there's no way Winnipegers would stand for a property tax increase of 10%. But the mayor said, hey, there are three options in that budget that we'll see tomorrow, and one of them would see a 9-point-something percent increase. Winnipegers would never stand for an increase like that, 10%, would they? No. Um, I would be, uh, frankly, I'd be pretty surprised if there was any sort of significant tax increase uh, in tomorrow's budget. Uh, you know, the mayor ran just a couple months ago on on kind of controlling tax increases, and uh, I, I think he's going to follow through on that. So what I think he was doing yesterday is really just uh, kind of drawing some attention to some of the challenges that uh, that he says that he's uh, He's uh, facing with uh, dealing with the provincial government. And, uh, uh, yeah, I don't think there's going to be anything on the tax front. I, I think that we could see uh, perhaps a reduction in, in capital spending, uh, maybe a reduction in, in roads uh, in particular. What What is going on with uh, uh, between the province and, and the city and, and the money? Is there anything to this, Colin? <laughs> <laughs> um, is anybody is anybody right on this? Is uh, you know? I think everybody's right and, and everybody's wrong. <laughs> uh, I, I think at the end of the day, look, uh, you know, Manitoba can't succeed without Winnipeg. Winnipeg can't succeed without Manitoba. We're a small province. We're a mid-sized city. We really need to have everyone working together if we're going to you know build the economy, increase opportunities for everyone. Uh, so I think from from our perspective at the chamber, at least, that uh, you know we, we'd really like to see. Uh, you know, both sides maybe tone down the rhetoric a little bit and, uh, you know, sit down at the table and, and figure out an arrangement uh, where there can be, you know, a, a long-term funding formula for the city so that both the city and the province know well in advance what the funding levels are going to be and, uh, you know, what the, what that funding is going to cover. Help me uh, with, and maybe you know, maybe you don't know, and if you don't know, that's fine. But uh, it seems like Winnipeg gets a lot of money from the province compared to other cities of a similar size, or at least that's what we're told by uh, Fielding, Minister Fielding with the province. Um, Does Winnipeg need to figure out a better way of generating revenue than relying so heavily on, on property taxes? Boy, I feel like I have a 25-minute answer for that. <laughs> I, I don't go 25 yeah. minutes, but I want to hear your no, answer I, because we've heard that for many, many years in the city of Winnipeg. Yeah. No, and, and you know, uh, in the province's defense, they're correct when they point out, hey, you know what? We provide a higher level of funding to the city than most other provinces do. That's absolutely correct, but... Uh, as I think I said yesterday, you know, when you're trying to compare provincial funding for different cities, it's a bit like comparing apples and orangutans. Like it's, uh, there's so many differences between, uh, you know, what uh, what which services are provided by a city government as opposed to a provincial government. When you're looking at capital versus operating spending, whether it's conditional or the city can spend it however they want. And then the big thing is you have to look at property at, at tax capacity, and specifically here is property tax. So in most other cities, um, you don't have a big portion of your property tax is going to pay for education. Manitoba is, is I think, 
the uh, the jurisdiction that depends most heavily on property tax. So half of your property tax bill goes to pay for education. If that wasn't the case, if that if that property tax bill was going entirely to the city, the city wouldn't have any problem with funding whatsoever. It could raise its own funds. Um, now, all that said, I mean, you, you raised the question about does the city have a spending problem? I don't know that it has a spending problem necessarily, but I think it can always take a look at how it can spend better and also what services it provides. And that's something that, uh, you know, uh, as, as a chamber, I think we're going to talk about a lot uh, over the next uh, you know few weeks and months is is kind of doing a, a core services review. And this is something that the city hasn't done in about 25 years is taking a look at, you know, what what services does the city provide right. and and should it you know what are we spending how are we spending it all that kind of stuff exactly right? yeah yeah let me just play a clip here this is ron schuler and he says as you just pointed out that uh mayor bowman and the city of winnipeg has a spending problem here's the clip and then we'll talk he has one of the highest costs for middle management and upper management of anywhere in the country uh, the, the the mayor of the city of winnipeg has a lot of room to take on his finances and stop trying to blame the province for the fact that he can't balance his budget uh the province gives him one of the most beneficial one of the most uh uh one of the best deals out of any major city in the country in regards to the to the province he's been given the message there'll be no cuts nor increases of any substantial amount he knows what's coming uh this is a system that's been in place for 100 years well before he became mayor well before i was minister and and now to all of a sudden feign that you know he didn't see this coming is a surprise i would suggest we not negotiate in public we've said that over and over again so as a premier how about we just do that negotiating and and get some deals done so Schuler, at yeah, the end there said you know we gotta we gotta talk and get along and, and you made that point too but um why wouldn't Bowman, when he ran again, say, yeah, we are going to, knowing that, you know, he might be facing problems with the province and, and the kind of funding he was hoping for, why wouldn't he say we needed to, de- he just, like, maybe he doesn't want to deliver the bad news, right? Because if there's a review of how we spend our money, it might not be good news. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, but I think that's a discussion that we need to have as a community sure. and, and have, com- you know, input from everyone on, hey, you know, do you want to pay more for right. these services? Or because, do you think, hey, maybe these are, maybe there's a couple yeah. things that we don't need to do or somebody else should be doing it. Because that's what Colin Fast would do at home or Hal Anderson would do at exactly. home, right? If you had a limited amount of money, yeah. you'd go, well, hey, something's got to go. I, Net- Netflix has got to go or whatever. No, not the Netflix. No, you're right. Not Netflix. What am I thinking? Never. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, no, I, I, that's exactly it. You yeah. know, we, we have been going through a similar uh, experiment at, at, at home recently, and, yeah. and we think that's that's the same thing that the city needs to do. Uh, now, that said, I mean, you know, the minister made some some good points there. I think the the what the city's biggest complaint has been, and, and I think it's a valid one, is, is around uh, certainty and that it feels like uh, it doesn't always know until the last minute or sometimes... 10, 10 minutes after the last minute, yeah. exactly what funding it's going to get from the province. And, and I think the city... Uh, more frank, on the capital side, though, right? Uh, a bit, yeah, operating, more on the capital. Yeah. Operating has been right. okay for the last uh, last couple yeah. of years. But uh, so I think if they could come to some sort of an arrangement where, you know, even a year or two in advance, the city knows what it's going to get from the province. And that's something uh, Alberta actually recently cut a deal with, uh, with Calgary and Edmonton uh, along similar lines. So Calgary and Edmonton know... I think it's three years in advance mm. what funding they're going to get. Yeah. And that funding goes up or down depending on 
how the economy is doing in Alberta. So the so the cities of, of Calgary and Edmonton, they kind of have a stake in trying to elevate the, the provincial economy. That makes budgeting a lot easier. Oh, a- absolutely. When you know two, three years in advance, you mm-hmm. know, what you're going to get then, and especially now that the city is trying to move towards doing multi-year budgeting, where they're going to say, okay, here's here's our budget for the next four years, and we'll, we'll tweak it on an annual basis. But if they can know far in advance what they're going to get from the province, yeah, it makes that heck of a lot easier. And you're right. I think we've got to look at how we spend our money, but is the city maybe missing opportunities to generate revenue too? Are there, are there things on that side of the balance sheet that could be looked at as well or, or, or not just whatever you think? I don't know. Well, no, I mean, I think, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I'm here on behalf of the chamber of commerce. Hey, you know, I I think increased business activity is, is always going to, you know, lead to Mm -hmm. increased revenues for the city. Uh, you know, one area that we've talked about a lot and and it's not just us, it's the construction associations, the the home builders association as well is, uh, you know, taking a look at what the city does in terms of, uh, of permitting. Um, and you know, how, how, uh, quickly can you actually set up a business in Winnipeg and get your building built and get your occupancy permit and, and your building permits and all of that. And that is still uh, sometimes a struggle here. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we'll hear of projects that take, you know, two, three, four, five, six months to get the permits in place, as opposed to, uh, you know, companies that do business in other municipalities and they say, hey, in Calgary, it took us three weeks to get our yeah. building permit. And in Winnipeg, it's been three months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the quicker we get those those buildings built, the quicker we get those businesses in, uh, up and operating, the sooner the city's going to be collecting, uh, you know, property tax revenue and business tax revenue. Yeah. We, before I let you go, we've got an over-under in the newsroom right now. <laughs> what, what's the property tax increase going to be? Uh, of course, uh, Mayor Bowman uh, campaigned on, on 2.33%. And then I'm not so sure that during the campaign that caveat was there about the province. Unless the province is, uh, I can't remember that. But No, I, he did have the caveat did there. He? Yeah, okay, yeah, all right. So did. I stand corrected. <laughs> but uh, certainly the caveat's there now. So we were all kind of like, well, what's the number going to be, right? I'm the highest, just to let you know, I'm the highest in the over-under here at CGOB at 5.4%. Would you care to take part in our, our guessing game, or would you rather abstain? I'm, I'm going to go heavy on the under. I think he's going to stick to the 2.33. You think he will come out and say 2.33%, which is what he promised? That's what I think, and I'll, co- I'll come back tomorrow and collect okay. my winnings. All right, yeah. Well, you, you would you would definitely, I think, uh, Cam, help me out here. Cam Poitras producing the show. Would uh, I don't think anybody else has said the mayor is going to uh, meet his uh, promise, right? No, I think everybody went up. I think everyone's A little I, bit. I, I said 3.4%. That was my... That was yeah. my that was my bid. So this here's, is the uh, the Price is Right strategy here. I'm bidding. Yeah, one, I got, one dollar. No, I yeah. hear you. I hear you. No, <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Here, here's what I think might be going on a little bit here. Uh, well, a couple things. You know, talk about a nine point whatever percent, and then when it's much lower, everybody's relieved. But I think the other thing is maybe this is Mayor Bowman's opportunity to point at the province and say almost ten percent is possible, and you can blame Broadway. Mm-hmm. You know, almost a, a another salvo in the back and forth between the province and the city. Well, I think this is, yeah, th- this has been a lot about, you know, kind of uh, posturing in, in that back and forth. Uh, I mean, like I said, I, I think he's going to stick to the 2.33, but well, I, I, hope think there's, I hope you're right. Yeah, I think there's going to be some reductions on the spending side is, is uh, where they're going to make up those shortfalls. Colin Fast, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Colin right, Fast, Director Tom. of Policy at the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. Manitoba's liberal leader. Um, he feels like uh, Premier Pallister and the Pallister government here in the province of Manitoba has uh, left some dollars on the table in dealing with the feds. And so, um, and I've got a reaction uh, after we talked to Dougal Lamont here 
I've got some reaction from Ron Schuler on this, and I'll I'll kind of uh, break down uh, some of the money that Dugald thinks the province is leaving on the table with the feds. But uh, first of all, let's uh, get the conversation going here. Good afternoon, Dugald. Good afternoon, Hal. How are you? I am excellent. Thank you very much for doing this. First of all, tell us where you're at and why. St. Teresa Point, which is a flying First Nation. I drove over 200 kilometers of winter road to get here just because John uh, Gerard and I uh, have been uh, visiting communities up north, Thompson, Norway House, and the Island Lakes area, just to uh, find out what's going on and uh, the issues people are facing before we head back to uh, the legislature next week. Tell us a bit about your conversations up there. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, one of the most important things for Thompson is actually uh, that uh, you know it, that people have been super worried about it, but they're looking, they're feeling very optimistic. Uh, but part of it is that they've been facing a lot of challenges, just actually because of provincial cutbacks have made it harder for them to move forward and grow. And we're seeing uh, a lot of the same thing. There's a frustration um, that the provincial government is pretty slow cutting checks uh, that matter. That they, you know, they, <laughs> the provincial government's slow paying its bills. Let's put it that way. Um, and uh, that's been a real issue for some of the communities here who are uh, counting on uh, those uh, bills to be paid so they can uh, get work done and you know either get infrastructure built or uh, get services provided. To- nice segue, Dougal, because that's what I want to talk to you about, money. I know you've been throwing around a figure of $1.1 billion. That's the amount of money that you feel Premier Pallister and his government has cheated Manitobans out of. Explain. Well, basically, last May... The, 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 the premier and the provincial government signed a deal with the federal government for $1.1 billion in federal money. Yeah, about half of that, $500, $500 million would be for transit, but there's money in there for community infrastructure, uh, for um, recreational infrastructure. There's over $100 million for rural and northern uh, projects. And the province hasn't even applied for any of it so you know this is there's one year to apply for and spend all this money and uh, you know it's for all sorts of important things for sewage lagoons it can be for you know a whole ton of work that actually needs to be done in manitoba and it's just astonishing to me that the the province hasn't isn't making use of it basically you know it's a it's it's a it's more than a billion dollars in money that would be putting people to work and hiring Manitoba companies. Um, I've actually been getting letters from you know, Manitoba companies who do paving who's saying, look, we're in trouble because of the province's cutbacks, and we all know what our roads look like, uh, so it, none of it makes any sense to me. And, you know, a couple of years ago, in their throne speech, the province, uh, you know, the premiers promised, look, we're going to max out to make sure that we don't lose any of this federal money. Uh, but it looks like, you know, we're... This, you could lose, you know, a billion dollars. I mean, if somebody offers you a billion dollars, if I was offered a billion dollars, frankly, I wouldn't turn it down. And what's the reason? Is it because it's tied to matching funds here that the province would have to put up, or, or what's the reason? Well, you know what? Sometimes it isn't. There's all sorts of different ways. But I, I think, for me, it's hard to understand, but I think part of it is that the Premier is so focused on, you know, he, he's focused on the appearance of making his budget look good instead of actually putting people to work and fixing roads and bridges. And that's where the, we think you know, that's what the focus needs to be on, uh, on fixing things and on building things so we have a better economy in the future. And he's sort of you know, wanting to postpone all this stuff. Uh, you know, if you look at what's happened with the city of Winnipeg, 
Uh, people in Winnipeg might be facing a, t- a property tax increase because, again, the province isn't paying its bills. You know, they, or they'll, they'll, they'll promise to put a whole, a whole bunch of money aside that's supposed to go to the city, and then when it comes down to, to crunch time, they don't actually write the check. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because obviously we've been talking a lot about that over the past day or so. Budget day in Winnipeg tomorrow. Sounds like we're going to see an increase in property taxes beyond what Mayor Bowman promised in the campaign that saw him get elected. He promised 2.33%. He says we have to wait until tomorrow, but it certainly sounds like we're going to see a property tax increase beyond that. And that's something that Winnipeg taxpayers don't want to see. He blames the province. So you believe Bowman on this? You agree that the province is not uh, uh, doing its job, getting the money to the city quick enough? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, I've, I've talked to other people who told me, look, Bowman is right. Uh, you know, people in other municipalities, other mayors, who are facing exactly the same problem, because um, there's all sorts of um, areas where the province is cutting back. And it's it's actually choking off the economy. We, we were talking to the people up in Thompson about the fact that, you know, people who want to start a business can't get a business license because there aren't enough people there, because there's nobody to hand it out. So you're it's really stifling economic growth. But the other thing is it's just, it, you know, it, it's robbing from Peter to pay Paul because you're just shoving all these other costs onto other levels of government, like uh, like cities, whether it's Winnipeg or Brandon or whoever else. You know, we're all having to pay more So uh, because Palliser isn't willing, uh, is, is trying to balance his budget really for political reasons. And it, it's, not, it's not practical. I mean, it, it's to me... Look, you have to balance the political and and what's what's real, and uh, they're too, way too focused on creating you know an impression that they're balancing the budget when really you know they're forcing other people to raise taxes or hike hydro rates or hike tuition or uh, hike transit rates, right? All these things across the board because the province is pulling back. So I mean, these are all things that we we have to spend money on, and sometimes the best. The best government to pay for it is the provincial government. It's it's actually more efficient. It's cheaper for everybody, and that's something the the PCs just don't seem to realize. Well, I've got you, Dougal. I have to ask you as well about comments from Premier Pallister this week. He seemed to hint at maybe an early election in Manitoba. Are you ready to go? We're in the process of getting ready, but you know there could be a flood this spring. There could be all sorts of things this spring, and I think. He needs a really good reason to call an election. We have a fixed election date law in Manitoba. Um, and really, the idea of calling an election because you can, uh, I really don't think was. And I know you were up north yesterday. Did you happen to see the testimony from Jody Wilson-Raybould? Your federal Liberal Party seems to be in a bit of trouble right now. We'll have to see where it all, uh, where it all pans out. But look, we're the Manitoba Liberal Party. We're forging ahead on it. All right, Dugout, thank you very much. Dugout Lamont, Manitoba's Liberal leader, joining us here this afternoon. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.